0: This is the Lakin Chronicles Road to Recovery podcast with addiction recovery specialist, Dr. Greg Lakin. Real people, real stories, real addiction, and real recovery journeys. The Road to Recovery starts now.
1: All right. no, we have another episode and it is Melissa. And thank you for coming. I actually appreciate the fact that you actually viewed some of the Lakin Chronicles and you just volunteered, you know, because, uh, you certainly have a story to tell, and you have a lot of lessons that you've learned in the process. But I appreciate you just wanting to give back and, and and getting your story out there with the whole focus of trying to help others, you know, get help as well. But yeah, so I mean, Melissa, just tell me a little bit about like when opioid addiction first started for you, and and how it progressed, or or what you think the 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 steps were.
0: Um marijuana was the very first thing mm-hmm. very very first thing my friend came up to me and said smoke this now <laughs> and he literally would not let me leave until I tried it yep. So I tried it and I liked the way that I felt mm-hmm. and I continued to smoke for a while yep. and then um, I stopped for a while and then I had surgery done because I have had, had um, endometriosis right. And uh, they prescribed Vicodin, mm-hmm. and I like the way that made me feel.
1: How long ago was this about?
0: Um, I think I was 23, so, oh, wow, it's been a long time, 30, well, I
1: think, 20 20-something off. years. Right, yes. Yeah. yeah. So it... After surgery, all of a sudden, you tried different things, like you said, like it in, and, and you like that as well. I yeah. a lot, yeah.
0: <laughs> and, um...
1: And did you notice you got a kind of a tolerance? You had to take more of them? Mm-hmm,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, then I started, um, going to different doctors because I couldn't get it from mine anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, uh... I started, you know, self-injuring so I can go to the ER. Right. And get some. So now
1: you're doing all those things that you swore that you would never do. Yeah. Like multiple doctors, multiple stories. When you say you self-injured yourself, you would do things like?
0: Um, take a hammer and, like, break bones. I literally broke my hand in, like, three different places one time. Wow.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was... Really desperate, because my withdrawals, they last for months. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It was absolutely a nightmare to go through withdrawals.
1: So at that point, when you were doing those kind of things, how much would you need to take in a day? I mean, your tolerance, you know, like we talked about, it goes up. But how many pills were you having to take a day just to feel normal?
0: About 10. Mm -hmm. 10, like, Norpo 10s. And then I was taking Tramadol, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which I took about 8 of those a day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I ended up having a seizure.
1: Right. Yeah, you can have a seizure from being on too much tramadol or suddenly quitting tramadol. It was. They said it was the non-addictive pain pill replacement when it first came out.
0: That's pretty yeah. much when I got on it. Mm-hmm. When I was going, you know, back yeah. and forth to doctors, they put me on tramadol, yeah. and I took like two of them, and I felt fantastic. Right. And uh, it was even better than a norpo for me. And it was really easy to get because nobody suspected that I was addicted
1: to it. Sure. In the early days, we would prescribe it instead of pain pills, thinking that that was the way to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, without without getting somebody addicted, we could just put them on tramadol. But it yeah. wasn't quite what it initially was claimed to be. So yeah, you would injure yourself. You would go to ERs. What are some of the other things you would do?
0: Buy them off the street from friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I started buying them from a dealer.
1: And what kind of money were you going through then?
0: Um. Wow. Two to three hundred a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got ourselves in a lot of financial trouble. We couldn't pay our rent.
1: Yeah, you and your husband. Yeah. Yeah. And then children came into play. Yeah. At one point then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were still trying to juggle and make it all work as a housewife, as a mom.
0: I was working I mean yeah. I I was a functional addict.
1: Mm-hmm. what kind of work
0: I was um dispatcher for uh, like a railroad right okay. actually a cab company that drove the guys around for the road from the beginning so.
1: right. now you've been doing great for the last five years so somewhere in there you decided it was time to get treatment And I'm, with you it wasn't just once but yeah so tell me a little bit about your history of treatment
0: um the first time I went inpatient, mm-hmm. I was, I, I'm was from Chicago, so oh, okay. I did all that in Chicago. I went inpatient mm-hmm. in Chicago three times, and then I went outpatient twice there, and then I went outpatient once here, to calm here. Got it. And I just, I, I couldn't do it. The Withdrawals were just too much. And mm-hmm. to listen to people talk about, you know, drugs, taking mm-hmm. drugs, and what it did to them, it made me crave it more. Right. I, I couldn't. I couldn't
1: handle I couldn't it. Right. Now, have you noticed that um, people fear withdrawals, especially when that, they're in that addictive, reactive world? Their brain really believes that withdrawals are totally life or death. Yeah. Fear, it, it's, it's such an all encompassing fear. Yeah. that uh, And just the anxiety of possibly going into withdrawals. So. Yeah, the anxiety that, that was, you
0: know, I was all day long, I'd be like, well, I have a couple more. And then I had to go get some. And I, would, I would plan my whole day around it mm-hmm. and plan my whole week around it, you know, counting it out, trying to see how long I can make it last. Right. And then my husband got into them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he's much better now. He takes freedom.
1: Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So now you're both, or were, both taking opioids, pain pills. And so that had to increase the financial burden, I'm assuming. Yeah. But uh, it's never cheap. And then tell me about, so you were functioning like this for years.
0: Uh-huh, yeah.
1: In and out of treatment, five times in Chicago. And then, and then you guys decided to move here to Kansas. And, and what was it that, this, that was your impetus for getting treatment here?
0: Um, he got him and I got to a big fight. I wanted him to go to the ER. To go get more pills, right? right. And he wouldn't do it, and we got in a big fight, and I just started beating on him. Mm -hmm. And that's not, you know, that's not who I am. I don't, I don't do that. And um, he told me that he hated my guts, and either he was gonna leave or I had to leave Mm -hmm. if I didn't get help like immediately. So I went into the bedroom and locked the door and googled "help me, um, an addict, help Mm me." And it first place it popped
1: up was Center for Change. Well, good. All right. No, so you came here, it's been how long ago? Five years. Five years. Five and a half years. Right. And, and so you started with methadone mm-hmm. at that time, and then you got up to what level? Or what, what dose of methadone? Oh, 100 milligrams. 100 milligrams. Yeah. And then what are you at right now? 100. you just stayed stayed the course right there the entire time pretty much, huh? Well
0: no, you know, I was at I I really just eat very, very slowly have gone
1: up. hmm Okay. Okay. So you needed, because of your tolerance, you needed to get to a hundred before you felt stable? Yep. Is that fair to say? With no withdrawals, no cravings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what have you noticed with your brain since you stabilized your mood and And I don't know, I mean, if you've noticed something different with anxiety or depression or, or just the certainty of knowing that you don't have to be on the hunt all day, I mean, have you noticed changes?
0: Yeah, it just, everything just feels better. It just, it's so much calmer. I don't have any anxiety anymore. I thought that you know after I you know after I got disabled I thought I might ha- have some like bipolar issues mm-hmm. because my moods were up and down but it's not like that anymore.
1: Right.
0: It, that was right after I
1: tried to. Yeah. or Yeah. Right. Right when you found the dose where it, I mean, it takes a while for your brain to get off of that roller coaster ride. Was mm-hmm. that fair to say? Right. So anxiety's calmed down and you know it's kind of weird because as we study what part of the brain is activated during opioid addiction we find out that it's actually more the primitive limbic fight or flight but it's also kind of like PTSD where you know you have these triggers and you know like pills or or the fear of withdrawals or whatever it's almost more like a PTSD than general generalized anxiety disorder but stabilizing your your mood with medication assisted treatment like methadone or suboxone, buprenorphine or, you know, if there is a a bipolar or anxiety component as well, then once we stabilize that, like you said, the anxiety starts to go away, fears start to become more rational. Um, What's it like on the other side? What's it like just not having to be on the hunt or not having to worry about cravings or withdrawals? Life is
0: just so much better. So much better, we can pay our bills now because we're not worrying, you know, we're not spending our money on the mm-hmm. street looking for it. Yeah. And another thing that I was really concerned with was getting those fake pills
1: oh, yeah, fentanyl, lace stuff. Yeah, but
0: I, you know, um, mm-hmm. it, it terrified me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That was another big reason for me to get out. I've
1: been to a couple of here. funerals, right? Yeah, now you don't have any idea what you're getting out there, and they have that. They yeah, have fentanyl laced in marijuana, or black tar, or all these N thirty fake counterfeit pills. So you think you know what you're taking, you think it's a prescription pill. I know what I'm taking, and no, and you get a lethal dose sometimes. So that was very smart. Now you have a couple of kids, a couple of children. Yeah. Yeah. How are they doing?
0: Um, they're good. They they are terrified of pills. They won't take them. They won't touch them. Mm-hmm. Um. My oldest won't. My, my um, middle child, he has to take medication. And it's an amphetamine. He has uh, ADHD. ADHD. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So he takes that, but he you know, he doesn't abuse it. We don't want him abuse it. Nobody mm-hmm. touches it at home. You know, it's all his.
1: Right. Now, I remember one time you shared with me. Maybe you don't want to share it again, but there was a time where you had delivered a stillborn.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But you were on uh, opioids at that time too. Yeah.
0: My doctor wanted me to, um, go cold turkey, mm-hmm. and I did, you know, I didn't even, I didn't know.
1: Before delivery. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, he, within just a couple of weeks after I went cold turkey, he passed away. And I know it was because I went cold turkey, and I'm a huge advocate for pregnant women getting on methadone, mm-hmm. and not doing anything, not going down on it, you know. Mm-hmm. Because I've I've helped a couple of people online, I belong to a bunch of groups, and um, I've talked to the women that have been pregnant and told them, please, please, don't go down. Mm -hmm. I mean, your baby could die, you know, and I don't ever want anybody to have to go through
1: that. Right. No, there's different schools of thought on titrating down on methadone when you're pregnant, but certainly usually don't do it toward the end of your pregnancy or toward the end of third trimester because just about anything throws people into withdrawals or contractions or, you know, the infant's feeling everything you're feeling. Mm -hmm. So second trimester, stable time, you can go down slow, but your goal shouldn't be just to get off right away. so. So if you're not feeling it, your infant's not feeling it probably, but, you know. And then the first trimester is kind of a, Unstable time of pregnancy, anyway. But that yeah. second trimester is a good time to try to go down if you can. But by all means, you know it should be slow and steady, and and just um, not necessarily with a design to completely get off to the point that you're sick. And it sounds like you were pretty sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was really bad. I couldn't
1: mm-hmm.
0: get up and do anything. Right and then all you know after that i started feeling better but
1: mm-hmm.
0: by then just a couple of days later
1: yeah yeah that's a tough time they don't hear a heartbeat anymore and they don't see any activity and, and that yeah. that had to be another tough time for you emotionally, emotionally oh it was
0: awful and i um i got right back on the i got right back on the drugs and I was even heavier than I was before because I couldn't deal with it. I mm-hmm. wanted to stop crying okay. all the time because I was crying like all day. And then like three months after that, my dad died, and I went even heavier.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it was a terrible time.
1: Yeah. But you did it, and so you need to be, I mean, you've been clean for five years, so... And uh, so you should be very proud of yourself. Do yeah. you have concerns about relapse now or I'm a wafer. I'm yeah. not
0: I'm not getting off nothing, I don't think. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. Right. I'm totally yeah. fine with that.
1: Well, I think many, if not most people, can get off if if we've controlled the mood disorder and they're feeling they're in a stable good place, but there are people that don't want to take the chance or there's so much fear associated with going down or getting off that, that they don't want to chance that. And their fears are legit. You know, like you said, you've relapsed too many times or yeah. had your fair share of failed attempts. So i certainly understand. Is there some message you want to give to people that are out there wondering if treatment's for them or if they can do it? Um, you know, you're a good example of like maybe six times a charm, but you pers- you 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 did it, you know, you did it, and, and you stuck with it long enough that you, you actually gave it a chance. So you should be very proud of yourself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, what I did notice, though, is after I got on the and years later, like, mm-hmm. even like right now, I'm starting to, it, all those, um, everything that happened to me, like my dad and everything that mm-hmm. happened to me, it's all starting to come back in nightmares.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: You know, a lot of nightmares about him, like him dropping dead in front of me. Right. It's pretty scary stuff, but I think it's just my subconscious trying to work through it.
1: Right, stuff you've never, never stuff dealt I've with. never either. dealt with, yeah. Maybe because you were too numb at the time or... Exactly. And then it sounds like you've set yourself up for success as well because you're going to a lot of meetings. Like, what, is, what does that look like? Um. I mean, yeah, how many meetings do you go to a month and what type of meetings are they?
0: Oh, I don't. I, I go to like online things. Oh, okay. A lot of online stuff. But...
1: Yeah, that's what we're doing mostly now. Anyway, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I have a couple of favorite groups, and I would, mm-hmm. um, I would totally suggest that anybody like on methadone, would join, mm-hmm. those groups.
1: Do you remember the names of them at all? Yeah. Um,
0: Methadone Treatment Alliance is one of the, my favorites. Okay. And there's another one I can't remember the name of it, but there are a ton of groups on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Tons of groups, and every, you know, Methadone Treatment Alliance, everybody's on methadone. Right. And in the other groups, you know, it's a mix of methadone and
1: suboxone.
0: Mm-hmm. And I've never been on suboxone, so, you know, I can't...
1: Right. And when you, when you first got treatment, there wasn't even suboxone available, I'm assuming. Really? So, uh, I mean, it, it wasn't around, you know, it's been around for maybe the last 10 years or so, but... Um, Oh, okay. And then for people with higher tolerances, it doesn't necessarily hold them, you know, it's not mm-hmm. as strong, but it's certainly got a good place for people with mild to moderate tolerances and, um, yeah, so very good. Well, I really appreciate you coming and sharing your story because people can find lessons in everybody else's stories, lessons learned, and, and yours are certainly one of perseverance and, and, uh, and then what it's like to be on the other side and sounds like your your kids are doing well mm-hmm. good well, thank you very much yes. I
0: appreciate it <laughs> Dr. Lakin is a board certified family medicine doctor with an emphasis in addiction medicine and over 25 years of experience for addiction recovery services in the Wichita area please visit www.centerforchangeks.com or visit samhsa.gov or a national directory of resources and recovery centers in your area. You can also find these links in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to the Lakin Chronicles Road to Recovery podcast. And remember, you've got this.